Would you please open with me to Matthew chapter 7? Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 13 through 29. Matthew 7, 13 through 29. Father, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord, to be here this morning with my brothers and my sisters. And I ask, Lord, that your word would come forward with, with clarity and with the power, Lord, of your Holy Spirit. just want to thank you for the preciousness of your son, Father, then how he's spoken and brought us the kingdom. And so Lord, may we just have eyes that are open. We open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to what you'd say to us. And may we not only hear, but do and bring glory to your name. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 13 and 14 will begin there. It says, enter by the narrow gate, enter by the narrow gate for that gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Yes, man, we are coming to the home stretch of the sermon on the Mount and, um, as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, by the way, is Matthew chapter five through seven, and we're going to continue on in Matthew. Um, but Jesus is going to give us with some great clarity here about the two ways that God has put before man, the way that leads to life and the way that leads to destruction. Two ways here. And, and in doing so, Jesus in the remainder of the chapter, he's going to give us illustrations of those two paths. And, and so uh, there's two ways. And he gives us the picture of two gates. He gives us the picture of two ways and, and two destinations, two groups of people, two kinds of trees, two kinds of fruit, two kinds of people that will be at the judgment. Uh, you have two builders. You have two kinds of foundations, two houses. So he's just using uh, these pictures to, to give us an idea of the path that leads to life and the path that leads to destruction. And Jesus is just going to take one truth and he's going to do that 360 camera all the way around it and help us to kind of see that full picture of what's going on. And by the way, this, this idea of, of two paths, I mean, there's only, you know, there's two paths set before us, the path, path of life and the path of death. Uh, this is, this is not something new to the new Testament. This goes back to Genesis goes back to the garden where Jesus, uh, where God put two trees in front of Adam and Eve, right? He put two trees in front of Adam, which was the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. These are the two choices. So God gave Adam a choice there in Genesis chapter two. If we read Genesis chapter two, verses 15 through 17, I'll read it for you. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, tree of life included, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Why? For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so Adam gave a, uh, God gave Adam a choice there in the garden. And we all are products of his choice. Uh, he chose Poorly, <laughs> right? He chose to go for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, with a little help from his wife there. And, and, and we know that the repercussions of that are death. And this is why we die. This is why we have sin. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. But God 
I'm not going to go into all the theology there for a minute, but God once again repeated this choice to the children of Israel. This isn't something new. When they had been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years and choosing death, <laughs> right? Uh, he, they came to the place where they're going to cross over the Jordan and go into the promised land, the land that God was leading them to. And in Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20, by the way, the word De Deuteronomy means the retelling of the law. So that's the idea there. So Exodus is kind of the idea of leaving uh, Egypt and then you get the law in Exodus. And then Moses retells the law to the people of Israel as they're standing there on the banks of Jordan, they're about to go in. And he sums it up here in Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20, where Moses, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the righteous leader that God had put in front of me says, see, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. Life and good and death and evil. I've set it before you. This is what Moses is saying after he read the law. If you obey the commands of the Lord, your God, that I've commanded you today by loving the Lord God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord, your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your hearts turn away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You're going to die. You shall not live long in the land that you're going to over going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. And I call heaven and earth to witness against you today uh, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring might live loving the Lord, your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him for he is your life in the length of days that you may dwell in the land. The Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob and to give them what Jesus is doing here in the, in the sermon on the Mount is nothing new. This is rooted in God's command to man. You have a choice before you, you come to me for life or you reject me for life. You obey me for life or you disobey me at your own peril. And he repeats that to the children of Israel, obviously with the law. And so now back in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus begins to illustrate this verse again, having, if you remember in the first part of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? You've heard it said, but I tell you, he's retelling the disciples, the law before he's about to hand them the kingdom and they're going to go out. And he says to them, they're enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. And you know that their minds are thinking life and death, life and death, life and death. Oh yeah. Israel, our history and how we wandered for 40 years. And instead of believing we disobeyed and we died until a generation was raised up that, that was actually going into the land by faith or Trusting and the people, the non-believers, basically the ones who were not believing, they didn't make it. There's a picture there, but he says they're entered by the narrow gate disciples. And every, by the way, others were listening. Enter by the narrow gate for that gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so Jesus begins with a, a clear call for us to enter by the narrow gate. 
You must enter by the narrow gate. Every person in the sound of my voice, with the sound of my voice, this is God's call to you, his cry to you. Enter by the narrow gate. And he describes that narrow gate. Look at verse 14 in your Bibles as being a hard, a way that is hard. It's a difficult path. So for the person that says to you, Hey, you know, um, come to God. It's so easy. It's like, no, that's a lie. Actually, it is the difficult path. It is a narrow path. Jesus said it's, it's, it's hard. And and, and few find it, few possess it. The life that that path has, that that gate possesses few, few find the life in John 14, six. Jesus said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. Obviously the path that is being spoken of, of here is speaking of faith in Jesus Christ. That is the narrow path. And we look out in the world from all four, four corners of the world. How many people truly believe in Jesus Christ? Not believe about Jesus Christ, not believe of Jesus Christ, but believe in Jesus Christ. I'm no reader of souls, but I'm guessing there are more that don't than do. And my guess is it's few. And he says, why? Because it's hard. I'm the way, not I am a way. I am the way, exclusive, narrow, I'm the truth, not a truth, not a path. I am the truth, exclusive truth. I'm the life. There is no other. And no one comes to the father except through me. And Jesus would say in John 10, I'm the door. I'm the shepherd. He goes after all these things. Ladies, preach it, right? Amen. All the I am's. That is through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no way to eternal life except through Jesus Christ. He is eternal life. And though we know with absolute certainty that John 3:16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe, the gospel is spread wide and far all over the world. There's like there's a, a seed that's cast on all kinds of, of people all over the world. It's not limited to, uh, you know, uh, Europeans or to Americans. It's by the way, Jesus was Middle Eastern. I know. Did you know this? You know, we believe in a Jewish savior. Amen. <laughs> you know, and so all over the world, the gospel has been preached and spread and, and, and all kinds of people have heard of the Lord. But we see as we do in the parable of the sower of the seed that what? Man, most don't bear fruit. The word doesn't go down. And so although the invitation is sent broad and wide, yet Jesus says, few find it. Why? Because it's a narrow path. It's a difficult path. What does that mean? Oh man, I love Jesus. Well, Jesus defines what it, why it's narrow. If, as, as he'll explain when we get to John, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, 25, if you're taking notes and want to flip right in your Bibles, Matthew 16, 24 through 25, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. Imagine if, if Jesus stood at the door and said, if you want to enter, you have to lose your life of this church. You go, gosh, man, what a narrow minded church. You've got to get past me. You have to surrender your life to me in order to be part of my fellowship. You're like, well, that's not worth it. And most people go, no. But if you had someone in there and go, Oh, you know what? You want God? You can have God. And by the way, he's here to make all your dreams come true. Come on in. It's like Costco opening, you know, (laughs) this is what Jesus says. Why it's hard and difficult. Let him deny himself. We're so obsessed with loving ourselves. The problem is, is we truly are obsessed with ourselves. And I know how it, you know, I know the, the nuances of all that. I get that. But this is what Jesus says. You've, you've got to deny yourself and pick up your cross, your instrument of execution and follow me for whoever would save his life would lose it. You'll lose your life, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see the upside down kingdom. If you want to have life, if I want to have life, I must lose my life. How do I do that? I have to deny myself, pick up my cross and follow Jesus. And that's a work of God in our hearts. To have eternal life, life that starts in, and faith in Christ and goes beyond the grave, it goes beyond this life. A person must lose their life in the sense that they submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And as we went over the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 3, it begins with blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, God does a work of humility. No one's coming to God on their own terms. The Holy Spirit breaks a person before he lifts them up. Blessed are the poor in spirit, unless you lose your life, unless you become a beggar in your soul. Ah, but you know, I'm not going to lose my pride. Yeah, it's too narrow for you. Sorry. But see, this is God's desire that he would break us of our sinful selves, that we would know our true worth before God, not what everybody's trying to tell you to be, but that we are inherently sons and daughters of Adam, sinful, rebellious in our soul. And yeah, there's little good things sprinkled in there, but generally we're at odds. We're at enmity. We're dead when it comes to our relationship with God. And here's what happens as God looks into that death and he looks into that sin and he goes, I love you. And I'm going to give you life, my life through my son. I'm going to die to pay the penalty for your sin. And 
I'm going to bring you to faith in me and I'm going to give you what you do not possess. I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to give you my kingdom. You're no longer going to be slaves to sin, but you're now my son. You're now my daughter. I'm going to adopt you into my kingdom. I mean, the grace of God. And this is why the scriptures say that God does not, you know, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Unless you're like a little child, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's something about little children when you, yeah, they've got, we've got tons. I mean, anybody who's had little kids, you know, but there's just a, a, a childlike faith in, in believing what you say. Amen. Not a childish faith, childlike. And this is what God calls us to a simple faith in Jesus Christ. And it's narrow knowing, oh man, I know I'm a sinner before you. I'm not going to make it. There's no way I can make it on my own. I'm dead. But you know what? I also believe that you're good. And I believe you've done everything on my behalf. And this is what the, God, the spirit of God does is he draws us to himself. It's amazing. And he brings us to faith in him. We believe. You know, this was the problem with the Jews in Jesus's day they didn't want to lose themselves. They didn't want to lose who they were. They wanted to hold on to their identity. They wanted to hold on to their stuff. They wanted to hold on to all their ideas of what God was. They wanted a leader to lead them militarily. They didn't like the oppression of the Romans who would like the oppression of the Romans. Right. And so they viewed scripture when they looked at scripture, they looked at it, at the lens of what they wanted, not what God was saying. So, He's to be the savior. Well, that obviously means saving me from what I need to be saved from. Not sin. Oh, yeah, that too. That's cool. But the Romans, that's what we're concerned with. Number one. And we too come to God and try to make Jesus do what we want him to do and make God do what we want him to do. Amen. Yeah. We're all guilty of that. They wanted to have a Roman, you know, the Romans off their backs. They wanted Jesus to give them physical bread. This is what we had in John. It was pretty amazing. You know, the guys were walking around and, and Jesus did the miracle of the bread. And, and, and if you are poor and you are a person who wants bread, you're going, this guy is a bread machine. He like just created bread out of nothing. That's my King. I want that guy. Why? Because he's going to give me stuff. He's going to take care of my physical needs. And what Jesus was doing by the multiplying of the bread was trying to get them to see a spiritual reality. It's not about the physical thing. He's like, I'm giving you something that will be without end. I can give you something. I can sustain you in the things you really need sustaining in. Yes, bread, but that's not the issue. Seek first the kingdom of God and I'll take care of all that stuff. What you really need is life. I am the bread of life that's come down from heaven. Unless you drink my blood. Lest you eat of my flesh and drink my blood. You have no life in you. And this is what he said to the Jews. And the Jews said, look at that. And they went, yuck. No, we want bread. He's all your fathers ate manna that came down from heaven and they died in the wilderness. They had miracle bread coming down from heaven and they ate it and they're dead. And they got mad because you're starting to talk about their, their relatives, right? Who's this guy? And Jesus said, you're going to eat this bread and you're going to die again. But I tell you what, if you eat of the, of the bread of my flesh and you drink my blood, you will never die. That they wouldn't have it. 
even his disciples, this is John, John chapter six. And you go into John six sixty six, And it says that many of the disciples no longer follow Jesus. John six, six, six. Why? Because the saying was hard. It said in a few verses before this saying is hard. They all said it's too difficult. It's too narrow. And that's the problem with mankind. We think we have life because we breathe in and we breathe out and we eat. We're actually the walking dead humanity. We think that that's life for a season. It kind of is, but we all know the downward trajectory. What did the Lord say to Adam it said, Adam and the day that you eat, of that tree, I told you not to, you shall surely die. Now, did Adam drop dead on that day? No, he didn't, but something happened. The glory that covered him departed. He was naked and he was ashamed and he had guilt and he started blaming his wife and work became difficult. She started blaming him. They had the rate, you know, the gender wars. Sin entered the world. And soon after death, she said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no life in you. Very narrow. Choose the tree of life. Choose me. Believe in me. I'll give you life. John three thirty six says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but re- the wrath of God remains on them. And that's the world's predicament. You either believe or you don't. And this is the picture. And so with that said, to believe upon Jesus is real life. You've got two gates, two paths there. Now what he does, if, if, if Jesus is the only way, if, if he's the only way to eternal life, if this path is narrow, then all other ways are what? They're lies. They're false. All other ways now, does that ruffle some feathers? All meaning what? All. All of the religions, all of the paths, all of the perversions of the truth. I mean, how narrow is that? And how offensive is that to the world? Jesus knows it. <laughs> and he's going to die because it's so narrow. And so then if it's narrow, then what's happening? Then the people who espouse anything other than are false prophets. And that's what he wants the disciples to know. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So there are false prophets as opposed to true prophets, right? Two kinds of prophets. The false prophets aren't sent by God, nor are they friends of the sheep. Right? They're actually among the sheep, pretending to be sheep because they're looking for an opportunity to deceive, to take from, and to even destroy the sheep. Know that there are false prophets among you, church. They're out to get you. 
I don't want to like be crazy, you know, but I'm just saying there's, there's wolves in sheep's clothing. That is their true nature, nature. The, the wolves eat sheep. That's what their, that's what their goal is, right? False prophets don't love and they don't care for God's people. If they do it superficially, they don't protect them. They don't lay down their lives for them. They don't feed them. They don't tend to them. No, they want to take advantage of them. They use them for everything they've got to serve their own selfish desires because they are by nature wolves. That's who they are. But the thing is, is they're wolves in sheep's clothing. It's hard to see who they are. They're not what they appear. They're actually hypocrites. Outwardly, they appear righteous, but inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. Paul describes them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. This is describing false apostles. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise that if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Underline that one. But think about that. How many of us view Satan as a pitchfork and all demonic and grotesque and, and totally like, you know, and he's in there ruling hell and all that kind of stuff. No, actually, he's an angel of light. That's how he appears in beauty, in radiance. If you saw Satan, you wouldn't be like, oh, man, you're ugly. You'd be go, oh, my gosh, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Is there a reason why our world's obsessed with outward beauty at the expense of inward beauty? Every commercial that's put up there appeals to what? The character of the soul. <laughs> well, we're trying to have some kind of moral virtue when it's profitable. Right? Who do you think's behind all this? Who's pushing this worldview and all these types of things? The enemy, he's pulling the strings. He's an angel of light. And his ministers appear as angels of light. They're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, clothing, right? So how do you recognize what, you know, what the wolves are? How, how do you recognize wolves? How do you see past the deception? Well, verse 16, and Jesus already said it there before, but you will recognize them by their what? By their fruits, or as Paul just said, by their deeds, by what they do, how they live. Oh, I'm doing a mission for God. And I need my Learjet. I've said it before. It hasn't happened yet. And they appeal based upon some kind of superficial spirituality. And they appeal to emotion and tell you, you're going to be blessed. If you give towards this mission of God, when that mission of God is all about their own self-satisfaction. Cause they're wolves. They want to chew on you for everything you got because it's all about them because that's what their leader is about. Amen. Yeah. And Jesus is warning his disciples. Don't be false apostles. Don't be like them. And he gives this, he says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. 
And he says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Is that verse 16, now verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bear, uh, bad fruit. Verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. The point is obviously verse 20. You recognize them by their fruits. A, the, the kind of fruit a tree bears gives away what kind of tree it is, right? That's the picture here. You don't get grapes from a thorn bush, hopefully, right? You don't get uh, figs from thistles. Nope. So too with a false prophet, you don't get the righteousness and the godly fruits and the fruits of the spirit out of a false prophet. And by the way, the same, you can plug this in for believers and non-believers. If you're a believer, you're going to bear the fruit of the spirit. You're going to resemble Christ. If you're not, it's not going to come out that way. And Jesus says there are two kinds of trees, right? One that bears good fruit and one that bears bad fruit. Uh, one that bears good fruit, that would be a true prophet and a believer. And one that bears bad fruit, a false prophet, a non-believer, right? Unsaved. Jesus says in verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is what? Cut down and thrown to the fire. What does that speak of? Recycling, obviously. No. What's he talking about? Judgment. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. So not just false prophets, but what people, every tree. So that tells you someone who believes in Christ is going to bear good fruit. That's the proof that they're his. It's not that you go do good things to get saved by God. The thing is you come to Christ humbly, you know, you're not, and he saves you. And then you begin to bear the fruit of what happened within you. Does that make sense? The way is narrow. Read second Peter chapter two about the judgment of false prophets and the judgment of the lost. Peter says there in verse two regarding the false prophets, uh, sorry, verse 17 of second Peter two, he says, these are waterless springs, a mist driven by a storm for, um, for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. They have a reservation in utter darkness, pretty scary stuff. I don't mess with your theology. And so we recognize them by their fruits and, and on the heels of that verse 21, let's move along here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Here's Jesus letting us know, listen, it's not religious activity. It's not words uttered that gets you into the kingdom of God. It's those who do the will of the father. What is he saying? Are you saved by works? No, the works prove that you are saved. Those are the ones, the trees that bear the fruit are the ones who not only cry out, Lord, Lord, but they're crying out, Lord, Lord, genuinely in that they do the works of the father. And then the false prophets will also crawl, call out Lord, Lord, and they'll do spiritual activity, but it's different in that. Well, let them, let them, let them, let him explain here. Verse 22 on that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. You workers of lawlessness, religious activity does not equate to knowing God saying, Lord, Lord is what believers do, but it's also what prophet false prophets say. Amen. 
prophesying and casting out demons and mighty works. These are all associated with, with the prophets of God. We know that, right? Prophesying, casting out demons, all these things. These are associated with what the apostles would be doing. Make sense? The apostles did perform all these things. And this is who Jesus was speaking to. And guess who was among them at this point? Judas. And I have to believe that while God gives gifts for the edification of the church, so the enemy gives false signs and wonders to deceive. We read in Matthew 24, 24, it speaks of this when he says, man, there's going to be false signs and false wonders and all these things done. And that the elect would be deceived if that was possible. There's demonic power. Remember, he is an angelic being, one of the highest, most powerful angelic beings. He has power, power to deceive on massive level. We saw that with Moses in, and when he threw his snake down, remember Charleston Heston threw his snake down. What happened to the other guy? <laughs> they did the same thing, right? They were deceitful workers. Uh, maybe Janice and Jambres, maybe that's who they were, but it's not signs and wonders. So we got to be careful. Charismatics and, and experience and all that type of stuff. I mean, there's a place for that in the kingdom of God, but you got to be careful. You can't rely upon all those things because a lot of people who say, Lord, Lord, and they claim they're doing all these things, man, they don't know him. So we be careful. And we need to discern these things. Jesus says to those who did, did not do the will of the father that were not in relationship with him who were not loving and obeying the Lord, although they said, Lord, Lord, and they did these things. He said to them on that day, verse 23, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They never knew Jesus. And that word knew is that intimate knowledge of him. That's what a believer is, is, you know, Jesus, my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. They know me. Jesus continues in verse 24, by the way, we'll read about that later in, in chapter 25 it says everyone who then who hears these words of mine and does them. And we're coming to the home run here. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and then beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So here's the encouragement that Jesus gives in summary of everything he just taught on the sermons and sermon on the Mount. Wonderful. I'm so glad you just heard it. But if you don't do it, you're not mine. Because judgment is coming. The thing that's going to prove what happened. And either you are those who built your house upon rock. What I said, not only hearing it, but doing it. And that's a proof that you are, you're mine. Or you are not. And you're going to face destruction. And great is the fall, right? That's the, that's the big picture there. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and there was a great fall. Two gates, two prophets, two trees, two people who say, Lord, Lord, two houses. Those who have life in Jesus Christ are those who love and obey him. Those who love him, who, those who love him, obey Jesus Christ and those who do not. Again, John three thirty six. whoever believes 
and the son has eternal life. What does it mean to believe to say words? Sure. I confess. What was that confession followed with always action fruit? James says, you say you have faith, but I'll show you my works. And I know there was, there was a lot of controversy and, you know, and the reformation and all that stuff about that. But what he was saying is, listen, faith works. Faith works. If you say you love me, Jesus said, you're going to obey my commands. Here's my command that you love one another, that you show it as I have loved you, as I've shown you. Amen. Pretty heavy teaching to believe is to have a life marked by love and obedience to Jesus Christ. Unbelief is marked by disobedience. Verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Can you imagine that? For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. <laughs> oh no. The religious leaders were all talk and no substance. But here Jesus came along. He spoke with authority, not only because he wrote it and he was the word incarnate, but what his life exemplified it. Pretty powerful. Maybe we, may we be those who not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And this is a, this is something I think that, God, you know, we just talked about it the men's retreat. Listen, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. God has provided it graciously for us, but nevertheless, he calls us to respond in faith and in action. Amen. So I would encourage you. Um, and I, as I encouraged the brothers this weekend is, is, is to not, not allow this day to, to go on in your life. If you're just a hearer, be careful. You're in danger, but do as second Peter chapter one says, add to your faith. What do you mean? Add to my faith, add to the faith, add to let grow out your faith, work out your faith. What Jesus has done in you, prove it out by responding to the work of God. And you find out in Philippians 2, 13, that it's actually him in you that causes you to will and to do. It's that mystery, that tension in scripture. God's doing it in you. And yet he says for you to do it. Well, who's doing it? Yes. Amen. He brings you to faith and yet he calls you to believe. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So praise God. Father, we love you. And we want to love you in the way that you say that we should love you. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for what we've just read over the past several uh, months, couple months here in the Sermon on the Mount. May we not only be hearers, God, but doers. Change our hearts, God. If we're those hard-hearted folks, Lord, who once loved you and once had a burning desire to hear every drop that came from your mouth, every word that was uttered, and we would just go, yes, 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 Lord, let's do that. Change that in me. Oh, no. Oh, yes. You know, give us that heart once again. Create in us a clean heart, renew a right spirit within us, Lord, for your glory, for your name, for your honor and, and our joy, Lord. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.